0: Our scripture lesson tonight comes from Judges, Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 33. Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 33. Hear now the word of our God. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirits of the Lord clothed Gideon. And he sounded the trumpet, and the Abizorites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet them. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, Then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. And it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. Then jerubbaal that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him, rose early and encamped beside the spring of Harod, and the camp of Midian was north of them, by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home, and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then twenty-two thousand of the people returned, and ten thousand remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, and shall go with you, and any one of whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, every one who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their heads to their mouths, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man, to his tent, but retained the 300 men, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Actually, after reading that, could I have a glass of water? (laughs) Thank you, you, Robert. Hmm. That same night, the Lord said to him, "'Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. "'But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, "'and you shall hear what they say, "'and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp.' "'Then he went down with Purah, his servant, "'to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. "'And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east "'lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, "'and their camels were without number, "'as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance.' When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and came to the tent, and struck it so that it fell, and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the three hundred men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and in the right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beit Shittah toward Zerah, as far as the border of Abel-Meholah by Tabath. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as Beit Barah and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they captured the waters as far as Beit Barah and also the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeeb They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeeb they killed at the winepress of Zeeb. They pursued Midian, and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeeb to Gideon across the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. One of the things that I really appreciate about the book of Judges is that the the heroes of the book of Judges deserve to be called heroes in quotation marks. Because I mean, like we've seen, there's 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 the first judge Oatmeal, who of whom nothing bad is said, but then again, of whom very little is said, <laughs> and entirely possibly because there could have been a lot of bad things that were said, but very little is said of Oatmeal. And then there's Deborah, who of whom nothing bad is said. And that's about it. The rest of the judges are very flawed and. Many of their flaws are very obvious. And it's it's worth remembering that God uses weak, fearful, feeble people to accomplish his purposes. In chapter six, we saw that, that Gideon was was cowering in a wine press. He's threshing wheat in a place that's not big enough for the wind to blow to blow the chaff away. He's hiding. Afraid, discouraged, beaten down. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people of the east have been raiding and plundering every year. And every time they come, Israel has been brought very low. And we heard last time that when the people of God cried out for help, God sent a prophet who rebuked the people of Israel for disobeying the Lord. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell but you have not obeyed my voice. Then, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, Gideon protested that he was too weak and small to save Israel from Midian. And even when Gideon accepted God's call, he went by night in secret to destroy the altar of Baal. Now, now he is clothed with the Spirit, and so he goes forth with power, trampling down his enemies, right? Uh, no. No, that's not what happens. As a matter of fact, Gideon remains fearful and unsure of what to do. Gideon is something of an enigma. Does he trust God? Well, sort of. At least, mostly. But the key is when it matters most, he does. In that way, Gideon's a lot like us. It's, it's somewhat comforting to find Gideon in, in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Because many of the heroes of faith that you find in Hebrews 11 are, are not especially impressive when you read their stories in the Old Testament. But then again, that's part of the point of faith. The impressive thing is what God does through his weak and fearful people. But this is what God had promised back in Deuteronomy. The book of Judges always has Deuteronomy in the background. God had promised in Deuteronomy 3, verse 22, You shall not fear them, you shall not fear the nations, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. And in the prologue to the Shema, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 2, God says that, Moses is saying that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Israel is called to fear the Lord. Whom do you fear? Whose voice matters most to you? Because really when it comes to who do you fear, it really comes down to, Whose voice matters more? Do you fear those around you and what they will say of you, what they will think of you? Do you fear your enemies? Do you fear, oh, if they, if they hear me say this, if they, if they know this about me, they won't like me? Or do you fear the Lord? Is his word what matters to you? Now, in the story of Gideon, fear is the driving storyline. We heard this four times in, in, in last time. In verse 15 of chapter 6, Gideon asks, How can I save Israel? I mean, actually, did I say at the, like, at the burning bush? Because that's, I mean, that's Moses at the burning bush. That's Gideon in his encounter with the angel of the Lord. He sounds like, he sounds like Moses, reluctant to go and do what God says. Or in verse 17, when he asks for a sign, like so many others in the Old Testament. In verse 22, he's terrified that he has seen the angel of the Lord, like Manoah will be later in the book of Judges. And then he goes by night to do the work that God calls him to do in verse 27. And you can even see ways in which this prefigures a certain Nicodemus, who will come to Jesus by night because he's afraid of what people will think if they see him with Jesus. In our passage tonight, we get three more examples of fear. There there are the two tests that that you get in, uh, and then in verse 10, if you are afraid. Still, after all this, if you're afraid, listen, God, you see, God does not hold Gideon's fear against him. He is held up in Hebrews 11 as a hero of faith. Why? Because he perfectly obeyed God? No. Because he believed God every time? No, actually he didn't. In fact, he really fails miserably even in our text. He's a hero of faith because when the moment came, in spite of his weakness, frailty, fearfulness, in spite of all his failings. When the moment came, he believed God and did what God called him to do. See, that's what God calls of us to do. It's, It's not that, oh, you'll be perfect in everything. No, it's that, will you believe God and trust him and do what he's called you to do? Now, just to see Gideon falling on his face, Look at verses 36 to 40. Now, it's a famous text. It's the story of the fleece. The text is actually very clear that Gideon is acting in unbelief at this point. He refers to the fleece as a test. This is the word used in Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, when it says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. Throughout the entire Old Testament, this word is used to refer to how God tests his people. That's the way it's used positively, (laughs) when God tests us. But when it's used of people testing God, it's always in the negative. It's the word used in Psalm 95 to speak of Israel's putting the Lord to the test. You see, Gideon's fleece, is not about discerning the will of the Lord. The will of God has already been revealed. God has already given him a sign. Gideon's fleece is about how God is so determined to save his people that he will use a man who rebels against him and disobeys him in one of the fundamental commands that God gave his people, saying, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And Gideon even says, I'm putting you to the test. Exactly the word that God had said, don't do this to me. Gideon says, that's what I'm doing to you. And God doesn't open up the earth and swallow him and say, you're done. God does what he asks, not because Gideon is doing the right thing, but because God is going to save his people. Now, part of it is, Who does God have to work with here? Can you? Can you? Who's the other hero of faith during this generation? (laughs) Israel is a mess, and God is going to take a mess, and He's going to work His work in spite of the fact that we're a mess. So, just to be clear. Never, please never, use Gideon's fleece as a positive example of how to seek the will of God. What Gideon is doing is trying to get out of what God commands. It's as bad or worse as Jonah fleeing on a ship for Tarshish. Because Gideon is doing precisely what God forbids. He is putting the Lord his God to the test. But God does not give up on Gideon. The picture in Judges is that Israel has abandoned their worship of the Lord. And what we're hearing and seeing is, if God gives up on Gideon, then God would give up on you. But notice, God does not give up on Gideon. He does not say, oh, okay, you put me to the test. I told you not to do that. You're done. I hope that's a little comforting. Any of you ever done something that God told you not to do? Right. Gideon sinfully puts God to the test and God has mercy on him and even grants what Gideon had asked. The first night, the fleece is wet, the ground is dry. The second night, the ground is wet, the fleece is dry. But God is not to be trifled with. God, notice If you you pay attention to the text, God does it, but then God turns the tables on Gideon. He says, oh, you put me to the test. Now, I'm going to put you to the test. I would suggest to you that if Gideon had not done this whole fleece business, he could have taken all 32,000 men with him into the battle. But because he has put God to the test... God's like, oh, you tested me two times. I'm going to test you two times. Will you still trust me if I leave you with only 300? And Gideon seems to recognize, I deserve this. <laughs> I'm, so I'm, I will... You see, sometimes people say that, ah, God loves you just the way you are. That would be awful. It would be miserable to be loved just the way I am. I don't know anybody who loves me just the way I am. I'm a sinner. I do things, I say things that hurt God and hurt others. You see, God loves you so much better than that. He loves you and he sent his only begotten son to die for your sins. He raised him from the dead so that you might be transformed into the image of his son. So, so watch what God does with Gideon because he's going to refine Gideon and purify him and make him better than he was before. Because then Jeroboam, remember that's the name that he was given after he you know, let Baal contend against him. The name he was given after he tore down the, the altar of Baal. And so Jeroboam, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Harod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. Now, The problem is, we don't know Hebrew, so it's like, oh, okay, just place names. The names are more important than they sound. The spring of Harod, where, where, where Israel is encamped, means the spring of trembling or the spring of terror. And the hill of Morah means the hill of the teacher. Notice where the two camps are. Gideon is encamped beside the spring of trembling. Midian is encamped by the hill of the teacher. And through Midian, God is going to teach his fearful, trembling servant. And so God starts by pruning Gideon's army. The Lord said to Gideon, verse 2, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites <laughs> into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand to save me. This is referring back to Deuteronomy, where Moses warned Israel against thinking that their own might could save them. And so the Lord tells Gideon, Tell the people, whoever is fearful and trembling by the spring of trembling... Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and flee away from Mount Gilead. And so 22,000, two-thirds of the army bails on him. You who are encamped at the spring of Harod, if you are Hared, then you may flee to your homes. Now, God's basically going after the fundamental problem. If you're afraid, if you're fearful, if you're trembling, go home. I don't need you. This is actually what God had said back in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 8, that those who are fearful should not be sent into battle. So this is where, okay, so those who are fearful, they can go. Now, why didn't Gideon go home? (laughs) After all, Gideon is one of those who's been afraid the whole time. The reason is simple. God has clothed Gideon with his spirit. It doesn't mean that Gideon's perfect. He just violated Deuteronomy 6.16 and put the Lord, as God to the, the Lord as God to the test. But Gideon is being sanctified. He is becoming more and more of the spirit-anointed warrior that God calls him to be. He is learning how to trust God. But this is a big test. Whoa, I, I had a pretty good army with 32,000. Now I've got 10,000. Okay, that, that, that's a disadvantage, but if God is with us, we can still pull it off. And God's like, no, 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 no. You put me to the test. You really want to test me? I will prove myself to you, and I I am testing you. Will you trust me if I take you down to nothing? The Lord wants Gideon to trust him only. None of this, we can still pull it off business. Now, John Wesley was right to say, Without God, man cannot. Without man, God will not. What happens if Gideon goes home? Well, then God doesn't save Israel this time. I mean, what happens if if Jesus succumbs to Satan's temptations? Well, then God doesn't save us. Only God can save. Salvation belongs to the Lord. But God has determined to use Gideon in order to save Israel. He's using this story to prepare us for the greater and more glorious salvation wrought in the God-man, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity who joined himself to our humanity in order that he might join us to God. That's why God says again, (laughs) the people are still too many. God will use humanity to bring salvation. Oh, Oh, yes but it's only going to be a very small number. Of course, in Jesus that small number goes all the way down to 1. But here, God says, "The people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there." Uh, it's actually a different word for test, but it's 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 used as it's the word for refining, but the connection between Gideon's test and God's test is important. Gideon wrongly tested God twice. Now the Lord is refining Gideon twice in in answer. Because he didn't trust God and put the Lord to the test, God is saying effectively, okay, you want to do it the hard way? That's not hard for me. It just means you're going to have to trust me. Now, he the test that God gives is, does he, does he lap water like a dog, or does he, does he kneel down and, and, and drink on his knees? Um, commentators have expended considerable energy to try to figure out why lapping water is better than kneeling down to drink water. I'll spare you all of their effort. It doesn't matter. The text actually tells us what the point is. With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you. Do you hear this? It's not with the 300 men who were keen and watchful. It's not even with the 300 men who believed me. After all, the 10,000 men believe God. Anybody who doesn't believe God is definitely going to be fearful of this army. There are 10,000 who believe God. There are 10,000 who trust his promises, all of them. So anybody who says, oh, it's it's, it's something special about these 300. No, it's nothing special about these 300. The one of whom it is special is when God says with these 300 men, I will save you. It's an arbitrary test given in order to reduce the size of the army to a helpless remnant. If Israel is going to win this battle, then God had better show up. But the refining of Gideon is not a matter of sort of knocking him down to size. God is kind to his weak and fearful servants. And he gives us tangible signs of hope and encouragement. And so uh, the Lord said to him, go down to the camp, for I've given it into your hand. But if you're afraid to go down, still, yeah, (laughs) don't Gideon's answer is, yes, I'm still afraid, so yes, I, I will go check this out. But he takes God at his word, and he takes his servant, and he goes down and he listens because he's, he is trusting the Lord. And he hears of this dream of a cake of barley bread tumbling into the camp of Midian, striking a tent so it falls over. And the comrade, his comrade says, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. One of those curious things. Okay, here's somebody, the dream, the comrade. Sort of, how does this supposed, you know, Midianite comrade come up with a correct interpretation of the dream? You could probably come up with a hundred different backstories to, and all of which would be really fascinating, and who knows, and all but one of them would be wrong, but, and, but, however God orchestrates it all, Gideon shows up at just the moment that the man tells the dream and hears the comrade's answer. God has chosen to use this man, Gideon, a man of Israel. But it is still God who has given Midian into his hand. And when Gideon hears the dream and its interpretation, he worships. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. This is Gideon's finest hour. He doesn't start well. Remember, his father is a Baal worshiper. He doesn't end all that well. But at the right time, he trusts God and acts accordingly. Now, notice that there's no direction from God as to how he is to proceed. How is he supposed to use these 300 men to attack Midian? There's no special direction from the angel of the Lord here. Rather, God calls Gideon to use his sanctified common sense. When you only have 300 men, how do you attack a massive army? He divides his men into three companies. He puts trumpets into their hands and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he says, "When we come to the outskirts of the camp, I'll, I'll blow my trumpet, and those with me, and then everybody else does the same, and we'll shout for the Lord and for Gideon." Just, just picture this for a moment. They've got they've got torches in one hand and trumpets in the other. Um, what, what are they What are they going to fight with? <laughs> a torch, <laughs> a trumpet? No, they're not going to fight. They're going to stand there. Usually, a trumpet signals a company to attack. So, you know, many have commented on how if there are 300 trumpets sounding, that will sound like 300 companies attacking. And perhaps the Midianites had had done some scouting and had seen the 32,000, so they might think that there's this big army attacking. Okay, that's possible. Likewise, people have commented that torches would light the way for a larger group than just one person. (laughs) But, of course... (laughs) any sort of attempt to explain this through those sorts of ways results in the problem of, but then when the Midianites realize that there's 300 guys standing there with a trumpet in one hand and a torch in the other, because if nobody ever actually rushes out of the hills towards the camp, why would anybody in the Midianite camp do anything other than, oh, there's people out there, oh, we should go slaughter them. I mean, story's over, they're all dead. So obviously the point of the story is not great battle tactics, Gideon. He's just simply doing the best that he can with a very real understanding that he is trusting God to show up and do what he's promised. And so they shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. And then notice what they do. Every man stood in his place. They stand there. They don't charge, they just stand there and announce the coming of the Lord. They have no swords. All this this talk of of the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, where's where's the sword of the Lord? It's not in the hands of any Israelite. The sword of the Lord is in the hand of the Midianites. (laughs) The Israelites are standing there with trumpets in one hand, torches in the other, helpless and vulnerable, And God defeats Midian not through some mighty warrior. It's through 300 guys standing around, playing music, shining lights, and announcing the coming of the Lord. That's why I call them the the 300 heralds. The Greeks have their story as about the 300 warriors who stood firm against thousands of Persian immortals. Judges tells the story of the, the 300 heralds. Who stand outside the Midianite camp, blowing trumpets, holding torches, and proclaiming the coming of the Lord. And when they blow the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. We heard of trumpets being blown at Jericho when the walls came tumbling down. Now the trumpets are blown at the Midianite camp, and the Midianites come tumbling down. As the Lord sets every man's sword against his comrade, there 's probably some explanation for this. probably if, if, if you had lived in, the, in that camp, who knows maybe that story of that dream and maybe others had had the same dream, and the stories are, are circulating and they 're very fearful, and the, maybe there 's internal conflicts between the various allies. God uses all sorts of things, and he doesn 't bother telling us the, the story of how he orchestrated it, that went at the moment that these trumpets get blown. The people in the camp are just ready to go after each other. However, God did it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not understand it. That's why Jesus will say that we should let our light shine before men. We sometimes want to say, But Lord, if if they see us, they'll come after us. Do you trust God? Do you fear him, or do you fear your enemies more? Well, it's entirely possible. Indeed, it's highly likely that your enemies will come after you. Jesus never promised that the Christian life would be easy. In fact, he he promised that we would suffer. Jesus promised that following him would lead us to the cross. But he also promised that this road would lead beyond the cross to glory. And he purifies and refines his people He brings his servant through the refining and brings him to glory together with all his people. Because notice with Gideon, Gideon's army is pruned, refined, down to 300 men. God brings a great deliverance through his holy remnant. And then he completes the victory through the triumph of the whole people. Because now all those that were sent away are called back. Now think of where this story is going. God chose Israel out of all the nations, and not because they were the most righteous or the most powerful. No, he chose a weak people, and he refined and pruned Israel down to David, and through David, down to Jesus. He brought the great deliverance through the righteous remnant of one, the light of the world who walked through the valley of darkness. And Jesus, in winning his victory, calls us to engage in our spiritual warfare. There's a way in which you see Gideon calling out Israel to battle. You can see the same story pared down to David in the story of David and Goliath, where then after David kills Goliath, all Israel is called out to go against the Philistines. And as Jesus wins his great battle at the cross and in in his resurrection, he calls us and equips us as his spiritual army to now bring the gospel to the nations. Because the winning of the great victory, the winning of that decisive battle is what, is what God does through his anointed warrior. And then, as the victory is assured, we are called, as you might say, the mop-up crew. Those who were once afraid and fled to their homes now return since victory is assured and go forth to battle. Don't think poorly of these folks. They're, they're more like us even than Gideon is. Would you dare to walk by faith if Jesus had not gone before us? We like to think we would. But think back to the Old Testament when how many actually believed? I, I, I marvel at the heroes of the faith in the Old Testament because they had so little to go on. We see Jesus so much more clearly than they. But in the same way, now the Lord has given Israel the victory. Israel goes forth in faith and seals off the Jordan River, killing the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zab. Maybe you weren't among the 300 whom God selected to be there on the front lines and and, and watch. But when the Spirit-clothed Deliverer called you, you showed up. Because Jesus is the light of the world and you have been united to Jesus, therefore you now are the light of the world. I've often thought that when Jesus comments that that people don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, well, they don't do that unless they're Gideon. That's precisely what Gideon did. He lit a torch and put it under a basket, a jar. Because he needed stealth to get to that point. But Jesus' point is that The reason why you don't need to do this anymore is because he is the Gideon who commands you now to break the clay pot and let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Don't be afraid because the great warrior, our Lord Jesus Christ, has won the great victory and now calls you to go forth. And don't be afraid of what the world will see. After all, what will the world see? They will see your, your love for God, your love for one another, your love for your neighbor. They will see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's what we're called to. So let us ask God to give us strength and mercy to do it. Lord, have mercy because we are so often weak and frail and, and forgetful and we're fearful and we don't trust your promises and we, and we don't show up when you call us. Lord, have mercy and help us by your Holy Spirit to remember your great victory in Jesus and to go forth with confidence, knowing that what you have begun in Jesus, you will bring to its completion because you have promised and you will do it. Help us, Lord. Strengthen us. Bless us as we go about the work that you've given us to do that we might might love you with a whole heart and love one another as you have loved us. May the world around us see your, your work in us. May they see our good deeds and glorify you. May they see the way in which we love one another and say truly, God has sent Jesus. Help us, Lord, to live this way. Help us to, to do this in, in just our daily interactions, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our workplaces, in, in each place where you put us, Lord. Help us to show forth the grace of Jesus. Help us to do this in our homes, with our our families, with our with our spouses, with our, our, our children, our parents, that we might have confidence to trust you in every moment, in, in every situation. And Lord, help us when we don't, and forgive us, and, and show us the way of life that we might walk in it. And Father, we pray for all who are afflicted and suffering, for all who are, who are in, in beaten down by the, the ravages of, of this age, of the world, the flesh, the devil. And may your grace and your strength build them up and strengthen them and help them to, to live day by day, trusting in your promises. Lord, have mercy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.